0: Thank you for your interest in this poster. I'm a consultant paediatric neuropsychiatrist at Birmingham Children's Hospital.
1: And I'm Ed Palmer. I'm an academic clinical fellow in psychiatry at the University of Birmingham. Um, so Livania, do you want to tell us a bit more about Birmingham and then about the service that we are both uh, work in?
0: Certainly, Ed. Birmingham is described as the UK's second city in terms of population, economy and culture, next to London. It is the youngest city in Europe, with 40% of its population under the age of 25. However, there is lack of reliable data on the number of children and young adults with neurodevelopmental conditions, Mm -hmm. including tick disorders, not only in Birmingham, but nationally. And I'll talk a little bit more about our service, Ed. So, as you know, we are embedded within Birmingham Children's Hospital, comprising of liaison neuropsychiatrists neuropsychologists, clinical psychologists, and we predominantly provide input at the interface of acute, chronic, physical health conditions and mental health and neurodevelopmental conditions. But we also see children with tick disorders, as you know, referred by pediatric neurologists, mainly to confirm diagnosis of tick disorders. It is also to assess comorbidities such as functional neurological symptom disorders, including functional tick like behaviors. Mm-hmm. And to assess comorbidities such as Autism Spectrum Disorder, ADHD, OCD, etc. We do undertake detailed biopsychosocial assessments Mm. and provide diagnostic formulation, initial interventions such as psychoeducation and um, recommendations for ongoing care within secondary services. Do you want to talk a little bit about the challenges that we have seen?
1: What? Yeah, I think exactly. And that's where we found it difficult, yeah. isn't it? So uh, able to do the diagnosis, able to do the initial psychoeducation, yeah. um, but actually about what the next steps are for the child. So what are the best interventions? Who's doing them? Is anyone doing them? And can we refer to them? Um, and I think that's really was our, our motivation for doing this, this poster, wasn't it? Yes,
0: you're right. So would you be able to tell us all the studies that we actually found? during the review and what it highlighted
1: absolutely so um we we did a a literature search and we found that there were seven studies that had looked specifically at functional tick-like behaviors in children and adolescents Um, and there was two prospective cohort studies two retrospective cohort studies and three case studies i think it's important to say that all of these had been done in a very specialized and tertiary tick services um the first key outcome was that assessment is, is key, assessment is important. And the kind of recommendations were in line with the kind of things that we do in our service. So having a, a multidisciplinary biocycle social assessment and a full formulation made for the child. They also recommended doing things like functional analysis of the behaviours and using this to inform the treatment plan. Um, in terms of the kind of uh, interventions that there was evidence about or were recommended there was some positive evidence around non pharmacological interventions so these included things like psychoeducation that we've talked about and is important for all functional disorders Mm. Um, but also one of the studies focused particularly on multi-agency work so looking at, at schools and and this is something that as in the children's hospital we know a lot about is really important is that triangulation of physical health or health and the home environment and schools. Um, It also, uh, there was a couple of studies looking at CBT therapy, So specifically using CBT for treatment of functional tic-like behaviours in the context of of an existing tic disorder. Um, So CBT-focused anxiety was found to be effective at treating these functional tics in people with tics and Tourette's. Um, But also using CBT to treat comorbidities like anxiety, which is very common, and depression. Um, there was also a study that looked specifically at, at a new psychological therapy such as metacognitive or attention training techniques and they were found to have been effective in treating functional tick-like behaviours as well. Um, some of the studies looked at using medications. So one specifically looked at the use of anti-tick medication and it was found not to be effective for treating functional ticks. Um, so the vast, vast majority of people uh, with functional tics, using things like respiridone or clonidine that we might use, the vast majority saw no improvement in their functional tics. The small minority that did, it was only transient. And they talked about the fact that therefore the risks of using these medications are probably outweighing any potential benefit. Um, One of the papers also recommended um, actively treating relevant comorbidities. So, for example, treating comorbid anxiety and depression with SSRIs. And where that was done, they found that the functional tics did actually improve.
0: Mm. That's right.
1: Um, Lavanya, do you want to um, reflect a little bit on, our, on what we think the clinical implications are of, of these studies and the evidence?
0: Yes, Ed. Um, so although the studies included in this review have been conducted in a spe- specialist tertiary setting, there is data to suggest that the local community mental health services have been involved in the care of some of the children included in the studies. So in the UK, anecdotally, assessments and interventions for tick disorders and or functional disorders is varied. Mm. Um, commissioning is sporadic and the pathways are disjointed. Yeah. Um, but the skills and knowledge required to assess and provide the evidence-based interventions highlighted in the studies is present at both tertiary as well as secondary settings. Yeah. Um, capacity nonetheless currently is very patchy within secondary services whilst they are dealing with significantly increasing mental health needs, high risks and management of those so I do think that with adequate resource, training and education there is a possibility that services can be provided in collaboration with tertiary and secondary care with an understanding of each other's th- thresholds and remits I suppose yeah. um, I think you know, whilst was talking about these service provisions, I wondered whether you would like to tell us your thoughts about what the research implications are and yeah. how it could inform both clinical and, um, you know, commissioning.
1: Yeah, um, so, so I, I, I think there's some really initial positive results so particularly around non pharmacological interventions shown to be potentially effective um, and a few you know initial conclusions drawn about you know not using anti medication but actively treating relevant comorbidities but ultimately all of the studies were very small And all were conducted in these very um, specialist tertiary services. So undoubtedly, the field would benefit from further larger studies, particularly randomized controlled trials. This would provide a much better quality of evidence that could both inform clinical practice, as you say, but also may encourage clinical commissioning groups to fund both specific services or training and then funding some of the specific interventions as well.
0: Absolutely. This is really an important finding, isn't it? And it's been really Great pleasure working with you on this project. And G, Thank Thanks, you, Savannah.
1: Nice to chat.